0: You may notice the, the, the graphic that's up there, and uh, it's interesting, I was reading a book by Bob Yandy a number of years ago that has a picture like that on the cover, and he commented, he said, you know, when you look at something like that, you can't tell whether that's a sunrise or a sunset, unless you know which direction you're facing. So we're going to talk today about which direction we're facing. I want to read down through a prayer that Paul prayed, and we're going to basically continue something we began last week. Last week... Um, we, I did a message uh, which I really thought was going to be uh, in one direction, and it came out another way, so today we're going to finish it. Uh, as we ended last year and begin this year, we're talking about hope. As we've ended last year, as I shared last week, we look back and we can we know what happened in 2017. You may have loved what happened, you may have not liked it at all, but at least you know what it is. So we don't look back on 2017 with anxiety or fear or uncertainty. We know what happened. But as you turn a page on the calendar and look forward into 2018, we don't have that certainty because we don't know what's going to happen in 2000. You can have your plans. You can have your five-year plan, your one-year plan, your one-week plan or one-minute plan as some people do. But you don't know what's going to happen. In fact, in James, it says, he says, you know, be, when you make plans recognize you need to submit them to the Lord's will. He said, because you want to say, today we're going to go to this and city and do business. He says, but you need to ask what God's will is in that. So the point is we face 2018 and, and, and we don't have a certainty of what's going to happen. So it's a, it's a place to step back because we need to have a hope. It's critical for human beings that we have a hope. Without hope, this is brilliant, you may want to write this down, without hope you're helpless. (laughs) Without hope our faith doesn't work, because Hebrews chapter 1, verse 11, verse 1 says, faith gives substance to things hoped for. So if you're not hoping for things, then your faith has nothing to to latch on to and bring about. Faith gets, was what gets you up in, Hope is what gets you up in the morning and gives you purpose. Hope's what helps you to go through the things when you don't understand. When we understand what's going on, we're all set. But when we don't understand what's going on or we don't know what's going on, what keeps us going is hope. And one of the definitions of hope, the Bible definition of hope, is a, is a steadfast, confident assurance. The, the world's definition of hope is, a, is, a, is wishful thinking. Another definition of hope I've heard taught is that hope is a positive imagination. It's using your imagination to see a good result, to see a good future. But where do we get that information from? Where do we get the the, the data? Where do we get the the, the basis for, for that positive imagination? We talked last week about the world, all they have to look at are the things of this world, their bank account, the stock market, whatever, whatever in your bringing up, whatever in your training, whatever in your experience, we tend to look at those things for hope, and the problem with those things that the world has to put their hope in is they're of this world, and the problem with that is Satan is the god of this world, so the things we, they put their hope in are in his hands, and he can control their hope. And I shared the example of many times I've seen this happen where people are, have, a, have, have been di- diagnosed with a serious disease and they take God's Word, they stand in faith, they put their hope in God's Word, and then they get a good test result. And the doctor says, you know, uh, your, your readings are down or whatever it is, uh, your blood counts up, your sure, blood sugar, whatever it is, they give you natural evidence that things are getting better and people shift their hope from God's Word to those test results and the next time they go in, the rugs jerk back out from underneath them because the results go the opposite direction because they shifted their hope to the things of this world. But the world doesn't have that choice. We said, showed you last week in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, before we came to Christ, we were like those in the world. We were without God and without hope in this world. What a, you know, if some of us have been Christians a long time, we forget what that's like. We forget what it's like to wake up hopeless. I've shared this with you before. I can still remember that when we were first married and we'd move up here and I was going to law school and Nita was, as an, an RN, was, was working in the, in the um, children's hospital in Boston. And I would go to bed every one, Sunday night and this thought would hit me. Another week of my... I'm 26 years old, 27 years old. Another year of my... Another week of my life is just gone and I can't get it back. And I would go to bed with this fear starting to grip me. Your life is slipping through your hands and you can't stop it. There was a hopelessness to it. Even though I was, what, 26 years old, something like that. And I I can remember back to those times. But by and large, I've lived since we got saved in my late 30s with hope. Because there's always hope in God. So it's important as we begin this year to establish or reestablish what is your hope in? You know, sometimes they'll say in the world, in a difficult situation, you don't want to build their hopes up. Why don't you want their hopes built up? Yeah, take the hope away from them so they quit. And so, the, but the reason they do that is in the world, there's not a confidence behind that hope. So I understand they're trying to be gracious and kind and say, don't build their hopes up falsely because they're going to get let down. But that's because there's nothing to put their hopes in in the world. But we're not of the world. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. We're children of God. I love that song. I am a child. I was singing that this morning. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And because I'm a child of God, there is a hope that's been given to me. Did you find Ephesians 1? Okay, wanted to give you time. All right. Ephesians 1. This is a part of a prayer that Paul prays for the church at Ephesus. Verse 13, he says, "...in Him you also trusted after you heard the word of of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise." We'll come back to that later on. "...who is the guarantee of our..." Look at this, "...our inheritance." He's the guarantee of our inheritance "...until the redemption of the purchased possession." We'll talk more about that. "...to the praise of His glory. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, mentioning you in my prayers." So Paul's about to tell them what he's been praying for them. "...that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation of Him." Why? So that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, and what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Let's stop there. The eyes of your understanding, I pray this all the time, that the eyes of my understanding, I pray this for you, I pray this for my family, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. What does that mean? Our underst- you, have, you have these natural eyes out there that when you woke up this morning and you looked out at the thermometer and you went, I think I'll go back to bed. You had an understanding of what you saw, but you have an inner eyes. Your inner man has eyes. What you see on your heart, what you understand with your heart, can be very different than what you see and understand with your mind. So Paul's prayer is for the eyes of this spirit man inside the enlightened. That just means you turn the light on so you can see things that are there. It's called it's revelation knowledge. It's something's revealed to you. When it's revealed to you isn't when it, sh- when it arrived. When it revealed to you is when the light got turned on so you could see it. While you were sleeping, whatever your bedroom looks like, it was there. But when you opened your eyes this morning, I assume you have. When you opened your eyes this morning, now your eyes were enlightened. You could see what was already there. And Paul's praying that these inner eyes be opened the inner eyes be open, so you can see what's already there of God's hope for your calling, this, for your life that's in Christ Jesus, that you may know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of his, his inheritance in the saints. So Paul's praying that our eyes be open to see what is the hope of our calling. And that's what we're going to talk about again this morning. So how can I base my hope and confidence, though? Because he's talking about hope for the future. He's talking about hope for the for the inheritance that we have in heaven. Hope for the glory of, of Christ when He comes back. And the question we're going to talk about today is, how can I have hope in something that's going to come when I can't see it? How can I have hope... How, how can I, mean, I understand that Christ is coming back, and I understand he 's coming back for us, and I understand we have an inheritance, but how can i that 's then and maybe today but but that's that 's down the road, pastor, but you understand i 'm facing hopeless situations here. I have to find a place to live by the end of this week or or i 've gotten an eviction notice or or i 've gotten a doctor 's report that says i 've got so much to live i 've got you understand pastor i, I can 't wait for my hope. For when Jesus comes back, I need hope now. I'm facing a difficult situation at work. My finances are in terrible shape. I need hope now. How can we have hope? If the hope's based on something in the future, how can we have that hope, that positive confidence now? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So go with me to Romans chapter 5. We walked quickly through this last week. But it's worth spending some time in. Now, before we jump into this, because we start with the word therefore, as I did last week, I want to talk to you for a little bit about what the therefore refers back to. He's just finished making a case from chapter 1 all the way through the end of chapter 4. He's made a case for we are saved by grace that's received through faith. We're not saved by our works. And he's walked through why we need to be saved in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Chapter 3, basically, he says that that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, which is what qualifies us for His grace. Pastor Kurt mentioned it earlier. What qualifies you for mercy is you've messed up. The problem Jesus had with the Pharisees is they didn't think they needed mercy. They didn't think they needed a Savior because they thought they were holy because they kept all the details of the law, although they really didn't. But they... They, they did what we do. They judged themselves by their intentions and by everybody else, by their actions. And Jesus only had trouble with them because they didn't think they needed a Savior. They didn't think they needed mercy. They didn't think they needed compassion. They thought they were fine in themselves. So chapter 1 and 2 shows us that we're not in chapter 3. Then chapter 4 now explains what, what this faith is by which we receive Christ and salvation. And he has finished now that, that with Abraham as an example of that faith. And he said, God attributed to Abraham righteousness because Abraham trusted him. And then he says, that's not just for his benefit, for, but for all of us who will believe. So he ends chapter 4 by talking about the grace of God that we have received because we've received it by faith. And that's what the therefore refers to. That's all included in the therefore. Therefore, because of what God... He's just said that that our standing before, our right standing before God is not based on our good deeds, but it's based on faith in Christ. Having been justified. Having been justified. Having been justified. Having been justified. Not you're going to be. Justified means just as if you would never sinned. Justified means being made just or right in God's eyes. Therefore, having been justified... talking to those that believe in Christ. Having been justified, we have peace with God. Oh boy, could we settle in on that? In fact, let's do that for a few minutes. If you're in Christ, from God's side... He's at peace with you. tell hey, you, but pastor, I, I've fallen, I've slipped, I've made so many steps. I know that. But He's not mad at you. He's not mad at you. You, you didn't do so well before you were saved. So he didn't, he didn't send Christ because you were doing so well. He sent Christ because you weren't doing very well. And we're not going to take the time to go on in chapter 5, but he goes on to say, therefore God's not angry at us. He's not going to come back. Jesus is not coming back for the church angry. The anger of God for your sin and mine was poured out on Christ on the cross over 2,000 years ago. And so God's at peace with you. He may not like everything you're doing, but He's not angry at you. He's not sitting up in heaven with a long pointy nose and a big stick watching what you do and when you get out of, of, you know, when you get out of of your course, He doesn't hit you. He doesn't write it down in the book and see who's naughty and nice this year. You've been justified by faith. Therefore, we have peace with God through how faithful we are to come to church. Not what it says. We have peace with God because we're doing everything right. No, that's not what it says. And the reason we struggle with having peace with God and even peace with ourselves is because we forget those last five words. It's not through me. It's not through the good job I'm doing. The peace that I have with God is through our Lord Jesus Christ. My peace with God is based on Jesus, not on me. Are you getting this? okay I just want to make sure and this is so, so many people struggle with having peace when you have peace you can put your head down and go to sleep at night when you don't have peace you you can put your head down but you keep waking up worrying because you're not at peace Jesus said to his disciples my peace I give you not as the world gives you the world's peace is based on circumstances just like happiness is based on happenstance. But the peace that God's given to us as Christians is not based on your circumstances. It's based on Christ and your relationship with God. And that peace is given to us through our Lord Jesus Christ is through what He did, not through what you did. Verse 2. Through whom? This gets better. We also have access by faith into His grace. That word access is so important. That means the door is open. Always. The door is always open into His grace. So when you need more grace, the door is always open. In fact, you stand in this grace by which we stand, in which we stand. So, so tomorrow, you're not going to get any more grace than you have today, because God's opened the door and poured it all out. In fact, in, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, it says He's lavished it. In the New American Standard, He says He's lavished His grace upon you. He's lavished it. God doesn't do things... God doesn't skimp. When God gives something, He gives it wholeheartedly and all that He has. Romans 8.32, one of my favorite verses. Is He who spared not His own Son but delivered Him up for us all, how will He not also together with Him freely give us all things? If He didn't hold His own Son back, why would we think He'd hold everything, anything else back? He gave us the very best He had first. So we're not waiting on God. God's waiting on us to accept the grace that's been given to us. And we struggle. This is so 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 funny because this is how we think we struggle with receiving grace because we don't deserve it duh the very essence of grace is you don't deserve it this is exactly why what Pastor Kurt was talking about we are trophies of God's grace not of our faithfulness alright praise the Lord in whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand Today you're in Christ, you're standing in His grace. You may not be feeling it, you may not think you're seeing it, but the Word of God says you are standing in His grace through Christ. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Stay there a second. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What are you rejoicing in today? Let's take a look at your life right now. Right now, on January, whatever, 7th, 2018, what are, you, are you rejoicing? Or are we feeling sorry for ourselves? Are we complaining? If we're complaining and feeling sorry for ourselves, that demonstrates the vision we have for this year. What's coming out of our mouth is a great revealer of what's going on in our heart. Because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's coming out of our mouth is an insight into what's in abundance in our heart. So are you rejoicing? And what are we when, we... when we rejoice in the things of this world, it doesn't last because the things of this world change. Stock market goes up and down. The weather changes. Institutions and things, and this is part of what's in my heart, because uh, institutions and things we put our trust in and our hope in are all subject to change. I shared with you last week that, that back when I was a lawyer and one of the things I did is I would help businesses when they got into difficulty and I did large chapter 11 reorganization cases and we work with banks large banks and in, a, in over a series of years I saw major banks major institutions disappear I shared with you last week the second largest law firm in the world when I was practicing disappeared overnight just fell apart because the only thing that held them together was money. And the moment the money got threatened, they had no relationship with each other. So large things, governments have risen and fallen. Rome, Greece, Persia, Babylon, major nations that have existed. And as they looked at themselves, they thought, how can you get any more secure? How can you get Nebuchadnezzar? How can I get it? I'm, I'm the I'm God here of the largest nation in the world. And he was dead in a moment's time when he didn't worship God. The nations came and went. Things of this world are passing. They're not something to put your hope in. And this is if you put your hope in the things of this world, you will ultimately not rejoice. But if we put our hope in the glory of God, we will rejoice. And we're going to talk about what that glory is one of the definitions, of I look, glory is one of these large words in the Bible, if you look it up in the, in the concordance and things, it cover, me, means all kinds of different things in, in, in different settings. But the, what it means here, let me read what I, what I wrote down. One of the meanings of glory here is the glorious condition of blessedness into which it is appointed and promised that true Christians shall enter after their Savior's return from heaven. I'll read it again. This refers to the glorious condition of blessedness into which it is appointed and promised for every true Christian to enter. In other words, the glory, the, the, glory, the hope of the glory of God is what we're, what we're going to step into when Christ comes back. It's what's prepared for us. God is preparing something for you. He's preparing something for me. Jesus told His disciples He had to give them hope. In John 14, He was preparing them for a major change in their life. Their security was Him, which is what it should have been, but their security was that He was physically there. They could touch Him. They could hear His voice. They could feel His hand on their shoulder when they got nervous. When they were sleeping at night around a fire, they wake up startled. They look over across the fire. Jesus is here. We're okay. And now that's about to change. He's announcing the change. He's been trying to prepare them for it. But like most of us, they don't get it. So he's preparing them for it. And, and now it's going to happen. And he sits them down in John 14 and he says, he's, you know, I need to prepare you for this. He says, I am leaving you. But here's your hope. I go to prepare a place for you. And I will come back for you. And that's this hope. Blessed hope. This hope changes, we're going to see now, this hope changes how Paul sees the issues of his life and the challenges which he is going to have to overcome. When Jesus called Paul on the road to Damascus, this blinding light, Paul falls off his horse and he hears Christ speak to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, Lord, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus who you've been persecuting. And then he takes him in, has him go into Damascus, and he's blind for three days, and he sends Ananias to him. And Ananias says, "Mm, I know this guy. He's out killing Christians. He's arresting Christians. And Jesus says to him, no, I need you to go and show him the things he's going to have to suffer for my sake. Through whom we also have access, go to verse 3. Not only that, so we're all excited now, we're glorying, we're glorying, in, we're, we're excited over, over the fact that we now stand in this grace. We're excited that there's a future for us. Not only that, but we glory in tribulations. Whoa, wait a minute. Whoa, wait a minute. Tribulations is a Bible word for trouble. Any of you going through trouble in 2017? Uh. Well, the good news is you're still here. But how did you respond to that trouble? How do we respond to trouble? See, when we're young and immature as Christians, we complain, we feel sorry for ourselves. All we can see is the trouble we're going through. Nobody knows. Except the Bible says there's no trouble you haven't gone through, then everybody else hasn't gone through also. The details may be different, but it's trouble. Trouble is trouble. The interesting thing is if you look at the... I'm just going all over the place this morning. The interesting thing is, if you, that's more than interesting, it's a serious thing to look at, is in the book of Revelation, in the seven letters that Jesus dictates through John to the seven different churches in Asia, I think all but one of them says, to him who overcomes, there will be this reward. To him who overcomes, there's a, there's a, there's a, a, a stone with your name written on. To him who overcomes, there's a white robe. That word overcome, I don't like, any more than I like tribulation. Because overcome means there's something I'm going to have to overcome. I'm going to have to go through, go over, go through it somehow to get to the other side. But He's saying to Him who overcomes. So there are going to be things we have to overcome. We, this is not a jump up and down, run around the church saying, praise God. This is, but this is what matures us. See, when we're babies, we don't like to go through difficult things. The problem is in the church, there are too many babies. We want things that make us comfortable. We want things that make us happy. And the only way, place that I know in the Bible it says talks about being happy is in the beginning of the... Uh, um, come on, John, you can do this. The beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, where it says, blessed are those who mourn. That means happy. It's the going through the difficult things because there's a way to go through them. So Paul knew something we need to know. We glory in tribulations. We glory in tribulations. Now glory in that case means we rejoice in them. We praise them. We honor them. The Bible says that, 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 that be thankful in all, all, everything. Not for everything, in everything be thankful. In everything rejoice. Not for everything, but in it. Paul says... We rejoice in tribulations. Notice he doesn't say, I rejoice for them. He said, In them I rejoice. But we glory in tribulations. So the word glory means to rejoice. It means to praise. It means to honor. Honor your trouble. That's upside down. I mean, that's just sick thinking. From the world's perspective, it is. Because in the world's thinking, your goal in life is to be happy, safe, and secure. But that's not what the Bible says about the church. The Bible says about the church, we're soldiers. We're in a war. And in a war, the issue isn't whether you're happy, safe, or secure. In a war, the issue is winning, overcoming the enemy. And this is why we need to wake up and realize where we are. The church needs to wake up. But we can do this. See, if, if this is what the Bible says, then we can do it. Knowing this, how could Paul glory in tribulations because he knew that tribulations produce something? And I've, I've taught this before, but I just really sensed I needed to go back over this slowly because there's some of you facing tribulation right now, trouble. There's some of you that will face trouble this year and we need to know how to face it to be triumphant with hope. Tribulation, trouble, produces perseverance. That means steadfastness. That means you're not moved off of your faith. You're not moved off of your relationship with God. You're not moved away from your purpose, regardless of what the obstacles are and what happens to you. Now, perseverance doesn't automatically... Tribulation does not automatically produce perseverance or some of us will be the most persevering people that exist. It's what you do with the tribulation that makes a difference for your perseverance. It's what you do in the trouble that makes a difference of whether you have a hope or not. It's what you do in the tribulation that produces it. If you cave in... I've got weights down in my basement. And for years... I'd go down there, and I would, I would pick them up, I would lay on the bench, and I would resist them, and then submit. I would resist them, and then I'd submit. I'd resist them, and then I'd submit. I'd resist them, and then I'd submit. And as a result, those weights produced muscle tone, those weights produced muscle. I wasn't trying to be Atlas, but I just wanted to get flabby as I got older. And, 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 and the weights worked, but only because I exercised, exercised my effort against them. And there were days afterwards my muscles would rebel and say, you were stupid, and they would hurt. And then as I went through the treatments that I went through a year or so ago, I just couldn't, I, I didn't have the energy to do it. But those same weights were down there but they didn't produce strength in me while they were just down there because it was only when I went down and used them, it's only when I exercised and used them for what they were intended that I got stronger and that's what happened here. Now let's go to verse 4. And perseverance, that steadfast under trials, under tribulations, will produce character. And the word character there is, is, a dok, is dokimos, which means proven, tested character. God tests us. He doesn't tempt us, but He tests us so that we can find out where we are. And there's nothing that will show you where you are more than trouble if you're willing to look at it and not complain about it. Trouble will show you where your faith level is. Trouble will show you where your, where your vision is. Trouble will show you what your hope's in. Trouble will show you where you are and it's not a shock to God. God already knows we need to see it. Because it's until we see it and face it, we can't change. If we think we're somewhere that we're not, God can't work with that. Because God can only work with where you are. So if you're, if you're on the road and you get a flat tire and you pull over and you call AAA, what's the first thing they're going to know is, where are you? Right? Because they can't come and help you If if you're embarrassed about where you are, and so you tell them your home address, they can't help you, because they're going to go to where you told them, and you're not there. It's the same with God. If you really want God to help you, you have to be willing for God to show you where you are, and then when you face where you are, God's not going to be shocked and say, Oh my goodness, you're there? Oh, i got to pull you out of ministry. No, he knew you were going to get there before you got there. And most likely people that live with you know it. You're the one that doesn't know it because we don't want to face it because then we have to change. But it's only when you face where we are, only when we face where we are, that God can truly work with us and can truly show us His mercy and grace it's cuz if i don't think i need mercy then i can't see the mercy he's given me even though i do need it so perseverance keeping in the battle keeping in the fight keeping moving forward will develop in you proven tested character now the progression of this is very important and only when we're developing proven tested character do we get hope how come hope isn't at the beginning But hope is there when you see that you're tested. When you look back over the years. The Lord had me do this this year as I was coming to the end of... In fact, I woke up the other morning and just woke up and fear was trying to grip me. And just the devil was trying to paint a picture for this year what was going to happen and how I failed here and I failed, just kind of what Pastor Kurt was talking about. You failed this, you've been a failure at this and you've been a failure at this. And you know in those few moments when you first wake up it's hard to realize exactly what's happening so you tend to be really open regardless of who's talking to you. And these thoughts started to get into and I started to feel myself just trying to, starting to agree with them. Yes, oh my goodness, I've failed. How can I face God? I've failed as a pastor. I've failed as a husband. I've failed as a father. I've just had failure all over my life. It's amazing how when you open the door, He'll, He'll come in and talk to you. And then the Lord began to speak to me and take me back over victories and showed me that in this situation, what happened? In this situation, what happened? He said, in this situation, you called on me And you saw me answer in this situation. And each of these was hopeless in the natural. You saw me deliver you here. You called on me here and saw me deliver you there. And went back over these things, showing me that in the midst of all of those things, even though I was weak, my knees trembled, I wavered, ultimately I called upon him. And he called that proven character. Proven character. And then I stepped into hope. And this is what I wanted to get to you. Verse 5. Now, hope does not disappoint. One of the reasons I think we hesitate to put our hope in things is we don't want to be disappointed. In, in Romans chapter 10, it talks about that, that if you call upon the Lord, you won't be disappointed for salvation. He won't disappoint you. If today when I give an invitation, you call upon Him and said, I need to be saved, He's not going to fail you. He's not going to disappoint you. He's not going to look at you and say, No, I'm sorry, not you today. It's not your day. This hope, this steadfast assurance, the Bible says, will not disappoint you. So you can put your hope in it. But how can we know that? How can we know and have assurance? How can we have the same assurance that Paul had going through all these trials and difficulties? And I shared with you before, I shared with you last week, go look at what some of them were. In Second Corinthians chapter, I think it's in chapter uh, uh, 4, early on starting about around verse 10 or so, talks about some of the things he went through. Later on, I think it's around in verse chapter 10 or 11, he talks about some of the things he went through. And he calls them light momentary affliction. We looked at that last week. How can Paul have a hope in the midst of those situations? How can Paul have a hope? Because he knows his hope won't disappoint us. Why? Why? What is our hope based on? Again, hope is something you can't see. You can't see. We don't have, a a, a, we don't have a, a a preview of Christ coming back for us. We don't have a preview of what heaven's like. I've shared with you before, I've had two friends of mine, two people I've known, that died and went to heaven, and then came back. And they could not fear. They just, they, they couldn't. I remember mean, one of them was, was, an, was an older gentleman, and I was working with him as a lawyer, and he said, he said John, you just understand, I, I, no matter what, I can't fear, because I've seen where I'm going. I've seen it. I've seen where I'm going. Uh, it's not, it's not, I don't have to do it by faith. I've seen it. Now, you and I haven't seen it. So we have to do this by faith in God's Word. So how can I know that? H- how can I know that something I've got to latch my hope onto in the middle of all I'm going through isn't going to disappoint me? Paul answers that. How do we know? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Let's break that down. I've heard this taught so many times as, well, the love of God's been poured out in our hearts. That means God's love for other people was put in our hearts so we could give it away. But that's not what that says. That's true, but that's not what that says. He's talking about why can we have hope in what God's going to do for us. And the reason we can have hope because of what God's going to do for us is because God's love for us. It's because of God's love. In fact, that's the root of everything in your walk with God. The root of everything is the knowledge of God's love, how much God loves you. That's the basis of faith. When you get a revelation, an understanding of how much God loves you, faith is easy. I heard the story of a pastor's wife. And they were in a terrible car accident. I don't know the details of it. But when they got her to the hospital, her spine was broken in three places. And the doctor said, we have to put operate now and put a steel rods down in your spine. Because if you even lift your head, you may well sever your spinal cord. And her husband was a pastor who, who believed in God. And, and, and he looked at her and said, what do I do? She says, all I know is this. My father loves me and that can't happen to me. I don't know how, but my father loves me. And her husband, he said, I am going to be fine because I know my father loves me. I don't know how, I just know this is going to work out because my father loves me and he would not let anything bad happen to me like that. Well, to make a long story short, her husband called several leaders that he knew and one of them said, I, the Lord's telling me to tell her to, to, to sit up. And this is just one you either trust or you don't trust. The doctor said, "If you do, the, if you move your head, you'll you'll you you'll sever your spinal cord." So, she decides to act on it. So she lifts her head and sits up, and he's the Lord, and he said, "The Lord's now told me to tell her to stand up." When she stood up, she was healed. But the point is, her confidence, her faith was based on a knowledge of how much God loves us. So here he's going to tell us why we can believe it, because God's love for us has already been poured out in our hearts. God's not holding it back in heaven, seeing how well you perform. God's not holding back in heaven, looking down and saying, Tim, you, you were pretty good yesterday, so I'm going I'm to, just, I'll just spend, but today I still, I'm not sure how you're going to perform today, so I'm going to hold some of it back. See, that's what we do with one another. But God's poured it out. And how do I know He poured it out? He poured it out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The proof of God's love for you, the tangible proof, is the Holy Spirit who is poured out on you. Say, how do I know He's in me? Because back in Ephesians chapter 13, we read it, it says that that, that He bears witness, Romans 8, He says He bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. The Holy Spirit, if the the Bible speaks to you, that's only because the Spirit of God is in you explaining it to you. Now, let's take, we're going to come back here Let's go... Um, I've gotten way off my notes. Okay. Let's go to Ephesians 1. Let's go there. Actually, we're done with Romans 5. Ephesians 1. Praise the Lord. You doing all right? Yes. Okay. Ephesians 1, verse 13. Oh, it's just what I was quoting. But I'm in Romans, so that's not going to work. When I was first saved, because I wasn't saved in church, I was saved in our living room. I, later, when we went to a Bible-believing church, I came forward and, and publicly committed my life to Christ. But I, after I got saved in our living room, I, then there, you know, I was so, so I, I was so in love with God and so in love with everybody. I was in love with the lawyers in my law firm, I was in love with the, 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 the fat guy that served me coffee and, and bagels, I was, I was in love with the foam, the, the, the foam poles, everything, I just, I was in, I mean, the love of God was just, and that was not my nature. And then I began to question, well, how do I know that I'm really born again? How do I know that? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Well, it's most likely not you asking the question, it's most likely the devil asking the question. And he's not going to ask that question to people that aren't. Because he doesn't want them to know they're not born again. But this was the way this is what God brought to me to answer it. Verse thirteen. That you who first trusted in Christ, in the word earlier it says the word you you believe because you heard the word. Now verse 13 says, In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after believing you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That word sealed has two meanings to it. It means, first of all, sealed like you shrink, they shrink right, we had to replace our, our smoke alarms yesterday. And, and so I go to the, the, the uh, store and buy two more sno- two new smoke alarms and they are so encased in this hard plastic. <laughs> and you go to the, the, the grocery store to buy meat, and they put it on these plastic things, and then they wrap it with this soft plastic, and they suck the air out of it that's shrink wrapped. It's sealed so that the contaminants and air doesn't get in there. So, this word sealed means that He seals you, He protects you from, from the devil. It doesn't mean the devil can't talk to you, but he protects you. But it also means to be marked or stamped. So he's put a seal upon you, that you belong to God. You, may not, you can't see it in this realm, but in the spirit realm, you can see who's born again and who's not, because the Spirit of God is the seal, the mark. In the Old Testament, for the Jews, it was the rite of circumcision. That was the mark that you had a covenant with God. The mark in the New Testament for Christians is the Spirit of God living on the inside of us. And then what, what the Lord showed me, says, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And then I realized, before, before that night, when I opened my heart to Christ, I couldn't understand this book. I mean, I could read the words, but it was dead to me. I was searching and searching and searching, and it was dead to me. It wasn't good I couldn't understand it, I just it didn't do anything to me. But from the moment I asked Christ to come in, this book exploded in me. I couldn't put it down, it was feeding life to me. And that's because the author now lived in me. What's he saying here? When you believed, the thing, first thing God did is He put His Spirit in you. He sent forth His Spirit. The love of God was poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Look at verse 14. Who is the guarantee of of our inheritance. How can I have confidence? How can I put my hope in this inheritance that's mine? And the Bible's answer is Paul discovered because God has given us a guarantee of that inheritance now. And that guarantee is His love for us that's been put in us by His Spirit. Now that word guarantee is an interesting word. In the Greek it's the word arabon, A-R-A-B-O-N. And it means a down payment It means earnest money or it means an engagement ring. Now guys, single guys, if you've got some sweet thing and you're making promises to her, I love you with all my heart. I want to live the rest of my life with you. If she's smart, she goes, prove your love for me. I want to see a ring on that finger. I'm not thinking of anybody here. Because what does the engagement ring do? The engagement ring doesn't mean you're married, you don't have all the fullness and blessings of a marriage relationship but it's a sign of a commitment and it's tangible evidence of a commitment what's a down payment when you're going to buy a house and you meet with a realtor and you say we're going to make an offer on this and, and you know you, you pledge something but now they, 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 they say we're going to accept your offer to enter into a purchase and sale agreement you've got to give them a down payment you've got to take some of your precious hard earned cash and you've got to put it in somebody else's hands so they have confidence that what you promised you're going to do with that agreement, you're going to fulfill. And not only that, but but if your promise is to give them money, then the down payment has to be money. So the, the earnest money, the down payment is always in whatever the final payment is going to be, whatever form that's going to be. So God's given us a down payment of His love. God's given us, each one of us, see you weren't there, you didn't see Jesus hang on the cross. I didn't see Jesus. I can't see how much God loves me by looking at the cross and seeing Jesus on the cross with my natural eyes. So how do I know that? Because for me personally, in that living room in Belmont, Massachusetts, God sent His precious Holy Spirit to come and dwell in me, to live in me, as evidence of God's love for me as a child. Over in Galatians it says that, that because we are sons, God has sent forth His Spirit into our, in fact, I think we have that there, don't we? Galatians 4, 6. It's in there somewhere. Because we are sons, because we are sons, because you are sons, God has sent forth His Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The evidence that you're God's child is the Spirit of Christ inside of you. Isn't it interesting, when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, and He comes up out of the water, it says, The Spirit of God descended upon Him. He was filled with the Spirit. And a voice came out of heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. first time I saw this, I almost ran around my house. This is my beloved son. God's saying about Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Of course, it's it's Jesus. And the evidence of God being pleased with him is he sent his spirit to live in him. But wait a minute, when it comes over to me on my green couch in Belmont, Massachusetts some 38 years ago, and the spirit comes into me, could it be possible God's also saying, this is my beloved son? in whom I'm well pleased? Do you know God's well pleased with you? The proof of it is He sent forth His Spirit to live in you as tangible evidence of how much God loves you. And so we can have hope. We can put our hope in the promises God's made to us because the God who's made those promises loves us so much that He took us, gave His Son's life to pay for us, and then has put His own precious, his own Spirit in you, crying, Daddy. That's what Abba means. Daddy, Father. That word Abba is, a, is an Aramaic word. And I heard a pastor who was raised, uh, was, was, was an Arab, raised and got saved and was a pastor, talking about what that word means. And he said, it is an emotional word. He said, it is the the word that would be used of a new baby that was brought home from the hospital, placed in its crib, and then somewhere in the middle of the night, this baby's in in distress and cries out. Cries out. And what it's crying for is its mother, its father. And when the parents hear that cry, they're moved to respond immediately. That's what Abba means. It's the cry of a child for his father. cry of a child for its father. The Holy Spirit's been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost who's been given to us. So we're going to look now at Paul. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're looking at how could Paul, with all the things he knew he was going to face, as well as the things he faced... By the way, most of these letters and these verses we're reading, he wrote from prison. Not because he'd done something wrong. He wrote from prison because he was arrested for doing what God had called him to do. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Yeah, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 8. And Paul is writing to Timothy near the end of his life. He's in prison now, waiting to be executed. And he's concerned that Timothy, who's now a spokesman for him, is is ashamed because his boss has been arrested. Imagine, how would you feel if you woke up tomorrow? I know how I'd feel, but if you woke up tomorrow and found out I'd been arrested. I'd go to the church where that pastor was arrested. But, But not arrested for something I'd done wrong, arrested for preaching the gospel. This is what Timothy's dealing with. So Paul says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of, of our Lord, or of me, his prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who saved us and has called us to a whole, with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he has given to us in Christ Jesus, before time began. But he's now revealed them by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So part of our hope is we're not going to face death. Oh, we're going to leave this body, but that's not death. The Immortality to the light through the gospel, verse 11. To which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. And for this reason, for what he was appointed to do, I also suffered these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed... Remember, he's encouraging Timothy why he should not be ashamed. He said, I'm not ashamed. This is what I wanted to show you. For I, I know whom I have believed. He's saying, the reason I have hope, the reason I'm not in this cell wondering, how did I get here? Has God abandoned me, giving up His hope? The reason I have strong confidence and strong hope, I know my God loves me, and I know the One who called me. I know the one whom I have believed. I know Him. I know Him. I know my wife. We've been married for over 50 years now. She surprises me from time to time. But if you were to tell me, I saw your wife down at an X-rated movie yesterday, I'm saying, I don't care what she looked like, that's not my wife. Because I know her. I know the sound of her voice. I know the tones of her voice. I know when she's tense, I know when she's at ease, she knows me the same way, because we spend time together, Paul spent time with him, he says, I know whom I believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day, I know this is in the future. And I know I've gone through these difficult, but the reason I could go through them is because there's a hope at the other end. There's a reward at the other end. And that's where I've set, Mike, we talked about this last week, that's where he set his sights. But we're talking this week about how did he get through all the trouble to get to that place? Because he knew whom he believed, and he's persuaded that he's able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Should be the next one. Paul, at the end of Romans chapter 8, says, For I am persuaded. And I've shared this many times. Paul did not write this from a theological seminary in his office, nice and comfortable. He wrote this, and a few years ago when Tony Cook was here, he showed us a picture of what this this jail was like, it was a pit it was a hole in the stones wasn't like the first imprisonment where he was free to have people come and visit him he was put in a hole waiting to be executed he said, I am persuaded I'm convinced because of all the things I've got this is proven character this is proven character Paul says, I've gone through the tests and every time the trouble came I knew where my hope was set and because I knew where my hope was set, I overcame the trouble. I went through the trouble. And he said, so I'm now persuaded that neither death nor life. I remember I used to look at that and say, that's not encouraging. When I was a younger Christian, i looked at it and say, that's not encouraging. That's telling me I may have to die for him. That's not encouraging. But I've matured to the place. I'm not sure I'm fully there yet. But I don't read that the same way. There's a, something stirs in me now when I read it. Because when, we're, when death or life holds us, it's because we still haven't seen the hope of His calling. So if you struggle with this, you just understand this, you haven't seen it yet. Paul saw something you haven't seen, so keep pressing in in the middle of the difficulty. Keep asking God to open the eyes of your understanding. Because so you, when you see it, then you, can go at, you can't go after something you can't see. It's with these eyes on the inside. I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities or powers, whether it's the devil's demons or whether it's God's angels. See, people go, Oh, the devil's that. See, Paul wasn't moved by any of that. Nor things present today. Nor things to come. 2018, we don't know what's to come. But see, Paul says, I'm persuaded. Nor height, nor depth. Whether I'm on the top of the mountain, everything's wonderful. Or I'm down in the valley and everything's terrible. Nor any other created thing. Paul saying, if anything's been created, it doesn't move me, because my hope's not in these things. Or any other created thing shall ever be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul, sitting in that prison hole, writing to Timothy, says, I know in whom I put my trust. I've taken all these issues and I have put my future into His hands. And I know Him because I know He loves me. I'm persuaded that no matter what happens, God loves me. And what we tend to do is under trials is we question God. Well, God, how could you let this happen to me? Bit, You failed the test. What you're saying is, oh, I, I heard this before, so this is not original with me. When we go through difficult times, We think it's God's love for us that's being tested. It's really our love for God that's being tested. Because God's love for us has been proven. And Paul's convinced that none of these can separate us from the love of God, which has been given to us in Christ Jesus. So how do we develop this essential and lasting hope? We looked last week at Colossians 1, we're not going to turn, 3, 1. It says, set your, if you've died with Christ, therefore set your hope on the things that are above and not on the things of this earth. So be conscious of where you're setting your hope. Be conscious of what you're thinking about. In, in, in uh, 1 Peter 3, verse 13, For who is it will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, persecuted, you're blessed and do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled. Verse 15, but sanctify sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. That means set Him first. So the first thing we need to do is to set our eyes on the things above, on heaven and not on the things of this earth. The second thing is to sanctify God as Lord in your hearts put Him first, your first priority, then the things of this world don't matter that much. It's amazing to me how Christians get upset over sports. And I'm a big sports fan, but it doesn't mean as much to me as it used to. I'm not saying it's wrong to be a sports fan, but when it controls you, when you get upset about it, they don't get as upset as so many of their fans get upset. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that's in you. I remember, i got to close with this, I remember going through a time in, in Tulsa when we were going through a very difficult time. And, and I was working, I've told the story before, I was working in this small law firm and I, I had tremendous favor there with a senior partner and his daughter worked there. And she, they knew our situation. And, and I'm walking down the hall one day and she says, what do you have that I don't have? and I was carrying some books, and I thought, that's what she said, what do you mean? She says, no, no, no. There's something about you that I don't have. I said, do you want to know? She said, yes. So I said, come into the library here. She saw something in me. And I said, it's not what I have, it's who I have. She saw a hope in me that there was no reason in this natural life to have hope for. And that's a sign to unbelievers, to ask you the question. We ought to be the most hopeful people in the world because our hope isn't in this world. We ought to be the most hopeful people in this world. For the reason, ask you a reason for, for hope that's in you with meekness and in fear, that means reverence. That means reverence. One last verse. Go to Hebrews chapter 3. I'll have to shorten this down. So the first thing, how do we do this? We have to set our mind on things above. Number two, we have to sanctify God as Lord in our hearts. And Hebrews 3, this is so important. I've got to look at it because we're not going to read all those verses. Hebrews 3, it was here this morning. Hebrews 3. 6, verse 6. But Christ as, but, but establish Christ as Son over His own house, Christ as Son over God's own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoice of hoping, of hope, firm to the end. So it's not just whether you overcome. We don't have time to go down the rest of the scriptures, but, but read them at some point, because it talks about those that fall back. What keeps you from falling back is your hope. And Paul, the writer of Hebrews, is exhorting us that just as Christ was faithful over his house, we need to be faithful. And the way you do that is hold fast to the confidence and look the rejoicing of this hope firm to the end. Hold fast to it. So when everything looks hopeless, don't let those words come out of your mouth. There's no hope. Because with God, there's always hope. And the hope we ultimately have is not that I'm going to get out of this situation, not that I'm going to get out of that situation. The hope that I have is Jesus is coming back. The hope that I have is there's a reward waiting for me in heaven. The hope that I, and that hope is eternal. Because we saw last week, Paul said, this is mere temporary, short, light affliction we're going through compared to the eternal weight of glory that's awaiting us. And because that we don't have confidence in that it's because we don't look at it very often. We look at the circumstances we're going through and not at what is awaiting us. And I want to end with these verses because this shows, that this is critical that we set our eyes on those things because the things of this world this year may well fail us. But our hope in God will never fail us because God has demonstrated His love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let's pray. Father, as we begin this year together, open the eyes of our understanding. Open the eyes of our inner heart that we may see with our inner eyes, we may see the hope of Your calling for our life that is in Christ Jesus. Help us to see that our hope is not in this world. It's not in the things of this world. It's not even in people. Our hope is in Christ and His coming back for us. We don't know when that's going to happen. It may happen today. It may happen this year.